0: Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. Thank you, gentlemen. The other day I was... Uh, Saw, I saw a really great video. It's about a Christmas do gooder, if you will, and, and he saw uh, someone in he- that needed help. And so he did what anybody would do. He, he decided to, to jump right in and do his very best to help this poor soul. Check this video out. A family's Christmas decorations nearly caused one man a heart attack. Mister, please hold on. All right. Can you reach it? Can you reach it? The man in Austin, Texas thought this dummy was a real person. Nestcam video shows the man rush over, grab a ladder, and call for help. He even called Aww. 911. The family Aww. the family, put up the dummy to pay homage to a, a, a Christmas scene from, uh, from a movie right there. The Griswolds, you right? You know, Christmas Vacation. <laughs> and uh, they are trying to find the man to give him a gift because they say <laughs> it, his heart was in the right place now he felt it oh no he, felt he, said, he said he said can you reach it can you reach it it's <laughs> got to be a good samaritan there it's making me cry my goodness <laughs> you, you want him around if you were stuck on the roof one day can you reach it all right well we are Hoping to reach temperatures like we saw (laughs) yesterday. It was nice. Thank you, Charles. That's good right there. Now, I know that video is uh, uh, somewhat funny. I, I think it's fairly obvious. And that it was a, a dummy hanging from the house. Especially if you're familiar with that Christmas classic, Christmas vacation. That you'll know what the homeowners were, were trying to do there. That being Clark Griswold hanging from the top. And, and sure the news anchor was making fun and laughing. But did you hear for just a moment in the video before the news anchor cut in. Did you hear the desperation in the voice of the man trying to save the dummy? Did you hear for just a moment how desperate he was to help that person who he believed was a real person who is hanging on by that very thin thread. I mean, he was desperate to help because he knew that, that if he didn't get there in time, if he didn't make it there in the, in the perfect moment, that that man that was hanging by, the, by just his fingernails, he would fall and he would either hurt himself, of course he looked pretty high, it was a pretty nice house. He might even die. He said these words, can you reach it? Can you reach it? Speaking of the ladder, He was desperate to bring salvation to the dummy hanging from the roof. When I watched this video, I I laughed and I started thinking of of possibly some, some spiritual implications. Here you have what is thought to be a man hanging by a thread, clinging to life. And he had offered to him salvation. Can you reach it? And this morning we're talking about humanity clinging to life, hanging by a thread. And God brought to us salvation that we could finally reach in the form and the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, fill in this first top blank, if you will. Christ has put freedom in reach. Christ has put freedom, you might even Make that word salvation. You could write in the word life. He's put it in reach for us this morning. The best news that we've ever heard, that Jesus Christ has brought us salvation, and we can reach it. If you remember, we've been through a journey uh, through John chapter 1. We've been looking through verses 1 through 18. And if you remember several weeks ago, we talked about the different gifts that Jesus Christ has brought to us this Christmas season. And and maybe this morning, you're a little tired of all the marketing, all the commercialism, all the the trappings that go along with a worldly Christmas. And maybe today, you're looking for sort of that spiritual gift that Jesus has given to us. Well, if you go back to, to several weeks ago, we talked about the gift of life that Jesus has given us animation. He's given us our life and our breath. The second week, if you're remember Tony had this great big uh, adult choir presentation. Our youth choir was up here. Uh, We just sang about light not once but twice here this morning. Jesus brought to us illumination. He brought to us the light. The fact that we can now see in the darkness. That we can now look into ourselves and see that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Last week we talked about the deep truth that Jesus Christ came to the world to give us love. He brought to us affection. He brought to us this idea that we could be a part of a heavenly family. If you remember, I talked about my adopted son, Jet, just last week and how he came into our family much in the same way that we're brought into God's family. And this morning, we're going to be talking about liberation, that Jesus Christ came to earth. To liberate us from sin. The greatest Christmas gift that we could ever have is being set free from the shackles and the bonds that sin has gathered around us. And so this morning I want to start reading out of John chapter 1. You can look in your Bibles verses 14 through 18 this morning. I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Verse 14 says this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15 John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Three really simple points this morning that you can take away and hopefully remember this Christmas, remember that Jesus is approachable. Remember that Jesus is approachable. That taken from verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The summer residence of the Queen of England, maybe you didn't know this, is Balmoral Castle in Scotland. It was uh, several occasions during the summer when Queen Victoria would often go to her summer home. And Queen Victoria, if you've ever done any readings on her, she would often get very tired of the trappings of being queen. She felt that being the queen was sometimes very stuffy. She was always having to be so prim and proper, she was always trailed around by palace guards. And so when she would go to her summer home at Balmoral Castle, it was not unusual for Queen Victoria to lose the garbs of being the queen, and she would place on herself these old, tattered, sort of uh, third-rate clothing. And she would walk out with her bodyguard, who by the name was John Brown. John Brown was the queen's bodyguard. And she would leave and sneak out of the castle walls because she just wanted to be a normal person. She wanted to be part of the regular, everyday folks. And so she would walk in and around the towns and she would spend time with the people and none of those folks would ever know that she was actually the Queen of England, Queen Victoria. As John Brown, her security guard, recounts one of the stories, she was out in the streets and it had been raining and she had slipped and fallen, and he was trying to raise her up. And there was a peasant boy who had a cart, and he was trying to get the cart through the roads. And all of these people are around. And this, this young peasant boy, he, he saw the queen laying on the ground, and he said, Why don't you get out of the road, you old stupid woman? That's a true quote. John Brown was immediately offended. By this young man's tone, by this young man's words, as many as of us would be offended by that. And he said, boy, don't you know that this is the Queen of England? And the young man shouted back at him and he said, well, if that's the Queen of England, she should dress like the Queen of England. And Jesus, when he came, did not come dressed as a king. The scripture even tells us that while he was in the world, and although he made the world, that the world didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him because he came in such a humble manner. And his contemporaries didn't know him. People didn't recognize him, and others tried to have him destroyed. Herod did his very best to kill him, but he couldn't. The same is true today, by the way. People still try to not recognize Jesus. They, they don't want to receive Jesus, and some are even trying to blot Jesus out from the history books. Have you ever wondered why Jesus came so low? Why did he dress himself in the clothing of a poor peasant instead of being who he really was, a king with a capital K? Jesus came low so that we humans could approach the throne of grace with confidence. He came low that, so we could have a relationship with the Most High. Isn't it beautiful that when speaking of Jesus coming to earth, that John tells us that he became flesh and that he dwelt among us. John says that he personally beheld the glory of Christ. John tells us that he lived with Christ. That he personally knew Jesus. He saw Christ's glory. He knew that Jesus was the eternal word made flesh because he saw Christ. He saw Christ's glory himself. Isn't it a marvelous thing that the creator of the universe came to live with us? Which means that he came to see the very worst parts of who we really are. I'll confess, you see the very best parts of Stuart on Sunday morning. Oh, you see me dressed up. You don't see me walking around in my sweatpants, in my slippers, in my tattered up t-shirts. You don't see the embarrassing parts that my kids don't ever want me to talk about while I'm up here on stage. You don't see me with a five o'clock shadow. You don't see me when I can't get my words out right or maybe when I lose my temper. The only time you see me is when my kids run up here on stage and they give me a hug. And boy, we we produce this picture, don't we? Oh boy, Stuart is a loving, caring, doting father. All that's true. See the best parts of me. But see, have you ever noticed that when you live with somebody, you don't just see the best parts of that person, but you also see kind of the worst parts of that person. See, my poor wife, she sees the best parts, but she knows the worst parts. She's seen those times where I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do. I don't treat my children the way they ought to be treated. She's seen me when I'm healthy and strong, and she sees me when I'm weak and when I'm sick and when I'm frail. And do you know what? She hadn't walked out yet, thankfully. And she would probably even say that not only has she seen the worst in me and still stuck around, but I've seen the worst in her and still stuck around. I've seen the worst in my kids and I have yet to kick them out. But that's what it means to, to live with someone. To abide with someone. This Greek word that's being used here to dwell means that Jesus sees the best parts of us and loves us, but he also sees the worst parts of us and loves us anyway. He never kicks us out. He never throws us out in the street. He never says, enough. I've had enough. We've been hanging out with my nieces the past several days. I have a, I have a 17-year-old niece. Her name's Mary Emma. She's going to go play softball at the University of Mobile. And we were throwing the other day. Now, I don't know if you know this, but my brother's got three girls. And do you know that sometimes they don't get along? Oh, my goodness. Never seen so much drama. My niece was getting into an argument with my My other niece, Tate, and they were throwing softballs with each other, and she got so mad, and she threw her glove on the ground, and she says, Daddy, I am over people. (laughs) I am over people. (laughs) You ever felt like that? Well, I promise you this. In those human emotions where we get so sick of one another and we get so tired of one another because we see the worst parts of one another, Jesus sees all that and do you know what? He falls more in love with us every single day. Isn't it good to know Jesus? Jesus wants to live with us, abide with us. He wants us to be able to approach him, to know him, to speak to him, to see him, to dwell with him. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, listen to what the prophet tells us. He says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Isn't it good that we can find Jesus? Salvation and reach. The second point that I want to deliver to you this morning not only is Jesus approachable, but he is also incomparable. You can't compare Jesus to anything else, any other person, any other king, or any other being. In John 1, verse 14, it tells us, The Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. We can approach Him. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only, if you want to underline that word, only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Brothers and sisters, there is nobody like Jesus. Let me say that again. There is nobody like Jesus. Can I get an amen for that? There has never been anyone like him and there will never be anyone like him. Remember when John Lennon, remember this, remember when John Lennon said the Beatles would be bigger than Jesus? Do you remember that? The Beatles will be bigger than Jesus. How did that work out? Well, the band broke up, John Lennon died, and Jesus still reigns. In college, I can remember Tiger Woods' dad. You Remember this, those of you that followed golf back in Tiger Woods' heyday? Tiger Woods' father said that that Tiger would one day be more famous than Jesus. Not quite. And Jesus is still there. I was reading a sermon the other day and came across this quotation. I don't exactly know who wrote it, but I didn't write it, so I'm going to give credit to where credit is due to whoever wrote it. But listen to what he said. Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke the words of life as were spoken never before spoken since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet without writing a single line. He has set more pens in motion and furnished themes for sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and sweet songs of praise in the whole army of the great men of ancient and modern times. Born in a manger and crucified as a criminal, he now controls the destinies of the civilized world and rules a spiritual empire which embraces more than one-third of the inhabitants of the globe today. There never was in this world a life so unpretending, modest and lowly in its outward form and condition and yet producing such extraordinary effects upon all the ages, nations and classes of men and women. The annals of history produce no other example of such complete and astonishing success in spite of the absence of those material social, literary and artistic powers and influence which are indispensable to success for a mere man or woman. Jesus Christ is amazing. He's bigger than big. He's still the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He reigns on high and sits at the right hand of the Father today. And guess what? He's not giving up his throne for me or for you or for anybody else, for the Beatles, for John Lennon, for Tiger Woods, or anybody else. Jesus is awesome. What separates Jesus from everybody else is his perfection. He was and is perfect in every way. He's perfect in action, perfect in word, perfect in thought. Because of his perfection, he's also glorious. Jesus is different and better because of his purpose. Jesus came to earth to rest on a rescue mission from the Father. God's expectation of his Son was sacrifice, and Jesus met that mission head on and succeeded. And lastly, Jesus was packed full of grace and truth. I did some research while I was studying this particular scripture and discovered. Some interesting things about the two Roman rulers that ruled during Jesus' day. You might know who those rulers were. When Jesus was born, the ruler was Augustus Caesar. He was the one, by the way, that ordered everybody go to their own particular towns for the census. Remember that guy? Then there was Tiberius Caesar. Came after Caesar Augustus. Tiberius Caesar was in power during uh, the majority of Jesus' ministry, he was in. Uh, uh, he was the ruler during Jesus' death and his resurrection. In both cases, each man believed that he was a god. Whether you're Caesar Augustus or Caesar Tiberius, they both believed that they were a god. And they demanded from the Roman Empire and all of the subsidiary aspects of the kingdom, they demanded that they be worshipped as a god. These men who were called gods among the people were a lot of things. They were a lot of things, but they were not gods, and nor were they graceful. One of the last things about these men, they, it's interesting that each ruler, each particular ruler, tried to write the other ruler out of history. It was not uncommon back in these days for them to lie about their exploits and about their greatness. So if, if, if Augustus Caesar said that he had killed hundreds of thousands of men in glorious battle. It was not unusual for Tiberius Caesar to say well I've killed millions of men in glorious battle. One trying to outdo the other. One trying to be the bigger God, the more great God. And in both cases, if they weren't worshipped, it was not unusual for them to take those that refused to worship them and have them put to death. So again, go back to verse 14 of John chapter 1 and read what John is saying and put it in the context in which Jesus was actually born. And John says that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. See, the people would have heard that and they would have immediately gone to their current rulers. They would have immediately gone to Augustus Caesar or Caesar to Tiberius Caesar and they would have realized wait a second, you're telling us this king who's coming to earth of the Almighty God that he's full of grace and truth. We've never known a ruler who's ever been graceful or truthful. We've only known violence, we've only known lies and you're telling me that we can believe this one? John's saying yes, you can, because Jesus is better. He's incomparable, Tiberius Caesar can't compare to Jesus, and neither can Caesar Augustus, no king can, no president ever will, no ruler will ever be able to compare to Jesus Christ, why? Because Jesus is full of grace, and he's full of truth. What Jesus says about himself is true and what Jesus says about you is grace. Jesus is real. Jesus is sinless. He's personal. He's eternal. He is truly amazing. In John, or excuse me, in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, listen to what Luke says about this coming king, this Messiah, this savior. He will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father, David. Jesus is going to be king. And no one will be able to compare to him. Lastly, this Christmas, remember that Jesus is approachable. We can come to Jesus. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to see the good stuff and the bad stuff. He's never going to throw us out. He, he, we, we can come to him, he's special because he's incomparable. Lastly, he is available. Jesus is available. In verse 17 and 18, listen to what is said. John says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. But friends, because of Jesus we have available to us everlasting salvation. According to Scripture, Jesus is the only place that we can find liberation from sin and hell and the ultimate place to find salvation. There is a, a, an opinion that's floating around. It's actually not an opinion. It's called heresy. That there are lots of different ways to get to heaven. Lots of different ways to get to heaven. I was watching a call-in show last night. My wife goes, what are you watching? (laughs) I was watching a call-in show, and it was these two atheist gentlemen. And this man who's claimed to be a professing Christian, he had called in to confront these atheists with the Word of, of God. And as they have this conversation, this man who clearly didn't have a very good grasp on Holy Scripture, he begins to unravel before these two atheists. And so he says that the Bible is the word of God. And then this atheist comes back at him and he says, well, what about the Quran? What about the Book of Mormon? What about the Bhagavad Gita? What about all these other books that claim to be the word of God? Are they just as good as your Bible? And do you know what this man says, Oh yeah, they're all. They're all uh, talking about the same God. Students, let me just tell you right now, we're not talking about the same God. When we're talking about the Book of Mormon and the Bible, the Book of Mormon does not measure up. We're not talking about the same God. Do some research. Don't believe that lie. When you talk about uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, these these folks that come and knock on your door, and they say, well, we believe in the Bible. Here, check out this pamphlet. We believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the same Jesus you do. I promise you, don't fall for that. These Mormons, they'll come around, and they'll say, oh, no, 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 no. We love Jesus. Have you ever had that conversation with the Mormon? Well, they'll they'll say, "Well, I'm Mormon. I'm a Christian," and I'll say, "Well, that's good. I'm Christian. So am I a Mormon?" And do you know what they'll say? No. (laughs) How does that work? Wait a second. I'm Mormon and I'm a Christian. Well, that's good. I'm a Christian, so that must make me Mormon. No, I'm not Mormon. Okay, we're obviously not talking about the same Jesus here. We're not talking about the same Jesus, friends. The only way to heaven, I'll be very specific, the only way to salvation, the only way to liberation, the only ladder that was placed within our reach of salvation is Jesus Christ known through God's word, the Bible. It's the only place. If you search anywhere outside of the Bible, the text, you're going to find a different Jesus that leads you on this dog and pony show where you, tri- where, where you chase your tail around in circles. It's not the same. We have to follow scripture. He excludes all other words. If Jesus is the word, he excludes the thought of the ancient rabbis that thought that he was an imposter. If he's the word, the real word, capital W, he excludes this Muslim idea that he was a prophet. If he's the word, he excludes the idea of Jehovah's Witnesses' view of him as a created being like us. If he is the word, he excludes this liberal view of him as just a good example. You see that, by the way, in newspapers today, don't you? Oh, yeah, Jesus is great. As long as he stays out of my life, that's fine. He's a great example. Dr. Criswell, famous pastor, speaker, evangelist, says this. Basically, the word has reference to a unique communication. And that unique, one-of-a-kind communication to man is Jesus. Dr. Criswell says the only way we communicate to God is through Jesus. The only way. He's the only line, the only conduit, the only phone is through him, the eternal word of God. All that we need to know about God and man is spoken to us in holy scriptures by Jesus, the word of God. This word came to liberate us from our sin and shackles that we've put on ourselves. Jesus, friends, going back to that original illustration, Jesus is the ladder that God sent to us. He put that ladder right in our reach. Salvation had come, had come so close that all we have to do is reach out and grab it. I'll close with this last illustration. The other day, I was watching NBC, the NBC affiliate, NBC 15. Y'all watch that 10 o'clock news? I was watching 10 o'clock news. And this was several Several days ago, probably three weeks ago, and, and there was a house over a mobile that had burned down. And when I mean burned down, that joker flat burned to the ground. It was a complete loss. It burned so good that it went all the way down to the, the foundation. It was gone. And they were interviewing one of the ladies that lived there with her kids. And she said, you know, I, I hate it. Our house has burned down. And the, the anchor said, Well, you know, have you lost everything? And the lady said, We've lost everything. We've lost our clothes. We've lost our cars. Our cars were in the garage. Everything is gone. Can you imagine that for one second? During Christmas time, losing everything that you owned. That's pretty unbelievable. And, and I can imagine that if I went home right now and everything was gone, what I would feel, just the sense of loss. That I would have. Well, imagine for just a second, if you were standing there and, and, and your home burned down like these poor people over in Mobile, if it burned to the ground, everything was gone. Imagine if one day, the same day, this fireman came by and he said, Listen, why don't you come? Get in my car, get in my truck. I'm gonna take you someplace new. And so you trust it. So, I don't know how that can be, but okay, I'll trust you. And so you lose everything in a moment, and then you get in this fire truck, and this guy, he, he drives. He leaves Mobile. He leaves Mobile, and he drives over to Daphne. And You're like, wow, Daphne, this is great. He's taking me to Daphne, the greatest place on planet Earth. And then he, he drives into Daphne, and he heads down 98, and she says, sir, where, where are you going? Where are you taking me? And he says, don't worry about it. I'm taking you to a great neighborhood. I don't understand, but okay, I'll trust you. So he take, goes down 98, turns off the road, and, and, and pulls into this beautiful neighborhood, a neighborhood, by the way, that you could never afford before. And we get out of the, get out of the car, get out of the truck, and that fireman says, listen, this is your new home. And you're like, well, stunned, what? How can this be? My home just burned up over a mobile. I've lost everything. How can this be my new home? And the fireman says, Listen, don't worry about it. This is your new home. And by the way, in the garage, there's two brand new cars. Oh, and when you walk in, you'll notice that it's completely furnished with all of the finest furnishings that we could possibly find in Daphne. These are not somebody's hand me down furniture. This is not something that's worn out. This is brand new. We just peeled the plastic right off of it. It's brand new. You'll be the first people that are ever sitting in it. Oh, and and by the way, when you go in, I see you've got some kids. Okay, that's fine. When they go in, make sure they go to the pantry and the refrigerator because it's fully stocked. And when they go to their closet, there's going to be brand new clothes. There's clothes there for them. And so in the blink of an eye, you go from losing everything. Your home, your clothes, your car, your food, everything. It's in the blink of an eye, you're like, wait a second. I didn't lose everything. I just gained everything. Now, I will say this. I know that that sounds hard to believe here on planet Earth. But friends, that's what happens every day in heaven. It happens every day in heaven. Every day. People trade. People trade this burned down, worthless, worldly experiences and stuff. And they say, I don't want any more of that. I want what God's going to give me. I may not understand it. I may not get it. I, I, I can't believe he does it. But that's what I believe. And friend, maybe today you need to trade that worn down, burned up, earthly existence that we're hanging on to. And we need to trust something that we may not fully comprehend or understand, but that's available to each and every single one of us. Isn't it great that Jesus didn't just come to say, hey, you're alive? Not only that, but He blessed us so much more than that. He's made available to us salvation, liberation through the cross. In John chapter 5, verse 24. Listen to Jesus' words. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. Whoever hears my word and believes me has eternal life. You've just traded what you had before, this broken down, busted, worldly existence for something new and eternal and heavenly. This morning, I want to ask you that final question. Have you accepted the greatest Christmas gift ever? Would you bow your heads with me today?